Today on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. Pretty much any disease that has ever been brought up to me, if I search cord blood, stem cells, and then also the disease or placenta stem cells and then the disease or mesenchymal stem cells and the disease, then I almost always will find at least the very beginnings of research demonstrating that it could be effective. So there's usually like some white paper in PubMed that illustrates that, yeah, that it would be really potent. So I think the idea is, although it's not FDA approved across the board, there's really early research and it's constantly advancing. So even this past February, the third person ever was cured of HIV using cord blood stem cells. And it's just crazy to speak also with people that are so close to science because they just see breakthroughs all the time. Like one of my advisors and investors, he previously worked a lot with placenta stem cells and he would go offshore a lot of the time to conduct these experiments. And one really powerful story that he told me was pretty recently, he was in an elevator um, coming down from their clinic and a mom was there with her daughter. And then when they got out of the elevator, the mom started crying and he was like, is everything okay? And she was just talking about how her daughter had autism and previously felt really uncomfortable in elevators, especially with other people to the point that she would become excruciatingly agitated. And then after receiving a placenta stem cell treatment, that was the first time that she was able to be in an elevator comfortably with others. Hello, hello, I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Jones. And today I talk with Katherine Cross from Anja Health, all about placenta and cord blood banking for stem cell use later in life. We're not talking about stem cell aesthetics either. This talk was fascinating considering the number of symptoms and diseases those saved stem cells might help with in the future. So if you're pregnant, considering becoming pregnant, or know someone pregnant, this podcast is for you. Before we get started though, I wanna talk to you about something that comes up pretty often on this podcast, and that of course is lab testing. You see, testing is one essential way to understand the root cause of an illness. If you're an integrative or functional medicine practitioner, chances are you're placing a ton of orders with a ton of different labs. The Root Cause Medicine podcast is created by Rupa Health. Rupa is the best way to order, manage, and track results from over 30 different labs in one single place. Thank goodness, no need to create and log into multiple portals ever again. If you are a practitioner, make sure you go sign up at rupahealth.com to create a free account today. Now, let's start the show. Oh my gosh, Catherine, welcome to the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. I am so excited to interview you today. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, we're talking about a super interesting subject that you are getting the word out, but nobody really knows much about, which is umbilical cord banking and other types of banking. So can you give the listeners a little intro, who you are, your story, how you got into this? Because it's so fascinating. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I founded Anja Health. So I'm the founder and I founded it because of my younger brother. So I named the company after him. His name was Andrew. So I named the company Anja Health. But basically when I was three and he was one, he was in a near drowning accident. So he walked into a lake and my parents saw my grandparents were washing and vice versa. And then minutes later, we found him. And then he was taken to a hospital and diagnosed with cerebral palsy. And so at that point, my, he was told that he couldn't walk or talk. So my mom started immediately looking into different treatments. Because prior to that, he was completely normal. And even though he was one, he was already walking. 
And so, yeah, she was looking into like naturopathic medicines and she went to China and was trying all of these things. But ultimately the most promising outcome was finding an umbilical cord blood match for him. So basically umbilical cord blood is super rich with stem cells as is the placenta and people have been using their own stem cells. They'll save them at birth because you have that one chance to get it. And then later on in life, they'll be able to re-inject it back into themselves in a sense, either via an IV intravenously or through a direct injection to a local site. And so um, in children with cerebral palsy, they were able to see that they could improve motor and social skills. So things like People that didn't really have a lot of voluntary control over their feet were suddenly able to wiggle their toes. So there was just a lot of brain repair that was able to be done because of the regenerative nature of stem cells. And so, yeah, but we couldn't find a match for my brother because it's typically really difficult to find one if you're a person of color or mixed race at all. Existing donor pools are skewed pretty white. And because of the way that HLA matching works, you generally have to be aligned ethnically. And so we're half Chinese and half white, and we couldn't find a match, even though I think that one's a pretty common mix. And so, yeah, that it really exposed me to the fact that not a lot of people know about the fact that the umbilical cord and placenta are even rich with stem cells. And then even fewer of them understand how it works to cryopreserve them. And so as a result, I founded Angel Health when my brother passed away due to complications with cerebral palsy and pneumonia. So I just wanted to do something that could have helped him. And so now I spend a large majority of my day talking to pregnant parents. Which, and we're just going to help you amplify that because I follow you on social media and I have been all <laughs> over Angel Hell's website, just really trying to learn. And what's even more fascinating to me and just what I love is all the either current or want to be pregnant families moms that reach out to you and say, have all these questions. And, you know, they're like so excited and so curious. I'm reading your DMs, not your DMs, your comments. And I'm like, okay, yes, we need to get this out there more. So for those who are hearing this, maybe for the very first time, this they've no idea what we're talking about. Can you explain like, what is, what do you mean when you say cord blood or cord tissue or placental stem cells? I know moms have heard or pregnant ladies have heard, oh, is this the same as encapsulating my placenta? but it's not. So go into like the fine details for somebody who's brand new to this. Yeah. Yeah. So the umbilical cord is attached to a belly button, obviously. And then on the other end of it is the placenta. And so a lot of dads, I think are surprised by this, but (laughs) when you give birth, you give birth to the baby and then the placenta and it's usually cut and then detached at that point. But when it's in utero, then they're attached. And so, yeah, what we're talking about here is the umbilical cord blood. So the blood inside of the umbilical cord that flows between the placenta and baby while in utero. And then the cord tissue is the cord itself. So the the actual cord is really rich with stem cells as well. And they're actually slightly different types of stem cells. So the cord blood has stem cells that are really inclined to blood regeneration, so hematopoietic stem cells, whereas the cord tissue, the cord itself, is really rich with mesenchymal stem cells, which is really inclined to tissue regeneration. And then the placenta is also rich with these mesenchymal stem cells and also placenta amnion stem cells, which can actually be used for different family members and doesn't require a match so much, whereas the cord blood does require this more stringent match. All right, so before we get into the how you bank it, why bank it? Right, like what conditions, diseases, you've mentioned cerebral palsy with your brother, which would have been extremely helpful. But if somebody's listening to this and they're like, why would I even consider doing that? Show them the future of what, how it could help. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's interesting because there's, so there's a list of FDA approved 
diseases where they've gone through like the full gambit of clinical trials and such. And so those include lymphomas, solid tumors, inherited red cell abnormalities, leukemias, and inherited metabolic disorders and things like that. So there's about 85 diseases on that list, but pretty much any disease that has ever been brought up to me, if I search cord blood, stem cells, and then also the disease or placenta stem cells, and then the disease or mesenchymal stem cells and the disease, then I almost always will find at least the very beginnings of research demonstrating that it could be effective. So there's usually like some white paper in PubMed that illustrates that, yeah, that it would be really potent. So I think the idea is, although it's not FDA approved across the board, there's really early research and it's constantly advancing. So even this past February, the third person ever was cured of HIV using cord blood stem cells. What? That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just crazy to speak also with people that are so close to science because they just see breakthroughs all the time. Like one of my advisors and investors, he previously worked a lot with placenta stem cells and he would go offshore a lot of the time to conduct these experiments. And one really powerful story that he told me was pretty recently, he was in an elevator um, coming down from their clinic and a mom was there with her daughter. And then when they got out of the elevator, the mom started crying and he was like, is everything okay? And she was just talking about how her daughter had autism and previously felt really uncomfortable in elevators, especially with other people to the point that she would become excruciatingly agitated. And then after receiving a placenta stem cell treatment, that was the first time that she was able to be in an elevator comfortably with others. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So I think there's just a lot of really constantly advancing science in this area. And I think the beauty of keeping your own stem cells is that there really isn't any consequence to using your own stem cells because in the normal healthcare system, I think a lot of people think like, oh, well, if it was that effective, why doesn't this happen all the time? But the truth is there that if people try to find someone else's cord blood stem cells, like we did with my brother, then there's always the chance of rejection, similar to an organ rejection after a transplant, because it is a transplant, a stem cell transplant. And so in that way, it becomes potentially dangerous and can open up a lot of bad doors. But if you're keeping your own and using it on yourself, then there is no consequence. So actually, let me ask you this question, because the idea of stem cells has really grown in like the orthopedic world. You'll see, oh, if you've got a bum knee, your osteoarthritis in your knee or your shoulder or whatever, come get stem cell injections. But obviously that person probably it's not there. It's not from cord blood or it's not like something that they've saved because that this is a newer, a newer thing. And most of the people going to get maybe their knee injected are in their forties or their fifties or, you know, older. And so is that different? How is this different? Are they using somebody else's stem cells? Are they harvesting their own, like out of their own fat or something for stem cells? How is this different? Yeah, I think people have done a variety of things. I think typically they turn to organizations like Be The Match and try to find a donor so it'd be the match. They do cord blood stem cells, but they could also do bone marrow stem cells, or people have also extracted stem cells from their own spine or like femur to get it from their bone marrow. So yeah, I know someone that they extracted stem cells from his spine and they were able to use it in his knee because he at 19 was developing like early stages of arthritis because he was a long distance runner. And so, yeah, in those cases, they could potentially get it from themselves. But in cases where the rest of their body is, it has an ailment, then it's just not possible. And so if somebody's listening right now and they are currently pregnant or looking to get pregnant and they're like, oh my gosh, I need to do this. What's the process? Is this like an automatic thing set up and 
hospitals or do midwives? Like, is this commonplace becoming more <laughs> commonplace now, or are you still having to do a lot of education on how to have somebody collect and maintain everything? Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, we've definitely come across physicians who are less familiar. Usually they've seen it at least once. But for instance, like a few days ago, we had a physician call us and ask if the cord blood bag was still viable because he thought that it was leaking. But in reality, it was just condensation from temperature changes. And so, yeah, like in those type of cases, like he was just a little bit confused because he had just, it was just a little bit foreign to him, but he had done it before. So yeah, I think education is something I'm definitely always working on, especially with physicians and such, because they can really be advocates for it. For the most part, I've never come across a physician that's never seen it. Okay. All right. So with your company, with Angel Health, what's the process? Somebody's listening and they're like, sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> what do they do? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So they can sign up on our site. So very similar to just getting like any kit or even like a piece of clothing, just an e-com process. And then we ship a kit to their home and the kit contains all the materials that they need for collection. And it's also the kit itself is the box that they'll ship it, ship everything back to us with. So there's insulation inside and gel packs to help maintain room temperature and such. And there's a cord blood bag, a small jar for the cord tissue if they choose to bank that. And then a small jar for the placenta if they choose to bank that. And then four vials to collect a sample of the mother's blood, which we screen for disease. And so they can just keep that at room temperature. We typically send it two months before their due date if they sign up way in advance. But if they sign up closer to their due date, we send it right away. And we've sent like even emergency kits when people sign up while they're in labor. And so, yeah, they just can bring that with them to birth and then let a nurse, midwife or physician know we try to get in touch with the physician beforehand. But if not, we also have something that they can forward their nurse or midwife or physician. And then there's, there's a copy inside of the kit as well. And so it contains picture instructions with how they can do the entire collection, but it's pretty easy and foolproof generally. So you just stick a needle into the umbilical cord vein, which is pretty prominent. And so you just stick it in, watch the blood flow, and then um, tie it, and then you can cut the needle off and put it in inside of the kit again. And then you can cut about six to eight inches of the cord tissue and then the placenta and put those into jars as well. And then afterwards, parents call us. So we ask that they call us within about six hours of birth, and we will come and pick it up from wherever they are in the United States. And it comes to our lab in New Jersey. And then once you get it, what do you do with it? Yeah. So once we get it, it's processed. I mean, the whole process takes about 48 hours, but we process it manually. So we're able to extract slightly more stem cells than this other type of processing called automatic processing. And so we, um, the automatic processing just kind of puts it all through a machine and gets stem cells that way. But because we do it manually by hand, we're able to extract more stem cells and just be more conscious of the process, especially if the cord blood volume is really low. And so in that case, it's especially important that we're extracting as many stem cells as possible. And from there, it is placed into a vapor nitrogen tank. And then that's where it's prior preserved. So pretty similar to freezing eggs or sperm or embryos. And how long can it stay frozen? Yeah, I mean, there isn't too much research that demonstrates that it deteriorates over time. So the longest sample that's been stored is about 25 years. And I, yeah, they haven't been able to notice deterioration really. Okay. And then now let's say years have gone by and the person needs it. So then what is your process for 
I need my stem cells. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they just need a physician that's able to receive them. So typically like a physician will refer out to a stem cell clinic and then we can ship it to that clinic and then they can process it in whichever way they would like in order to administer the treatment. But in theory, if they have this like stem cell clinic ready to receive, then it should take just a few days. My gosh, that's amazing. And of course I have to ask with it's a hot topic, as you know, with stem cells. Does any part of your company, are you doing research? Are you selling stem cells for research? Can people volunteer to donate some stem cells to things? Or is it like, nope, it's your stem cells. They go, they get cryo frozen and we never touch it. Yeah. So we don't donate it or sell it or anything like that. And yeah, even if, if the only time that we've looked into it is if parents decide not to continue to store. So... Oh. Yeah, we generally recommend against that just because they went through so much work to get it there. So usually parents do just continue. But yeah, I've looked into it before in case that does happen. So yeah, I've chatted with people at Cellularity, for instance, that does a lot of placenta stem cell research. And then there's also a stem cell researcher in Europe that I've been in touch with that's been able to make quite a few advancements recently. Okay. And you had mentioned earlier about family members being able to use stem cells. So let's say a parent saved everything for one child, but for whatever reason, didn't for the other. Are, are siblings able to use the other siblings' stem cells if they need it? Yeah. So there's a 75% match. Wow. And basically that, that constitutes like a little bit more than a partial match, which still is able to be pretty successful with treatment and more successful than if you just got a random donor. So for instance, the, the woman who was cured of HIV that I mentioned, she used a partial match, but they because it was a partial match, they had to bridge it with one of her family members, just regular blood. And so she received a transfusion of both at the same time. And so in the case of getting like a sibling as a donor, then it may not be as necessary to bridge it in that way. So I have read before on your site about parents will ask should I bank for all of my children? Like I'm pregnant with my first, but we plan to have more. Do you recommend banking everybody or like, ah, oh, 75% is really pretty close enough. We'll just do one and call it good. Yeah, I mean, I recommend banking for everybody just because you never know what could happen. And already we've had like people reach out to us inquiring about using their own stem cells. So, and usually it's not even for the child themselves just because they're generally pretty young at this point, but it'll be like the mom's, like brother got into a car accident and has these spinal cord issues or a stepson has leukemia or like the grandfather suddenly developed arthritis. And so I think they're just a slew of issues that could potentially happen. And I think it's not, I think any one misconception about cord blood stem cells is that they're used only in the worst case scenario. But I think that there's really an opportunity to use it even in not the worst case scenario, if it's even just like a minor sports injury or like acne treatments, people have used placenta stem cells to treat acne scars. So it's not just the worst case scenario, but everyone, I really believe if you keep your own stem cells, they will be able to use it at some point. I'm so glad you said that. Actually, I'm really glad you pointed just that statement out. It's not always the worst case scenario, something like acne, which can be maybe really tough emotionally on you, but physically it's not cancer or something like that. But still to know that this stem cell, your own stem cells could treat a variety of things from you hurt yourself, got a little, you, a bump, a boo-boo, <laughs> all the way up to the worst case scenario. And the research is only growing leaps and bounds. I mean, 
when you look up, I'm not a stem cell expert by any stretch, but just me looking up in the big research library, PubMed, wow. And it's all very recent. And I just think that's so exciting. Yeah, definitely. And I do want to ask, because you had talked about your you and your brother being of mixed race. And so what do you educate for parents who are of mixed race? Like, I'm given that this is the whole point that you started this company, I'm sure you're like, yeah. look, <laughs> you really should bank. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. A lot of my TikTok content is geared solely to mixed parents. And I think even, yeah, we've been able to see like a lot of our Latinx consumers as well. I think even if they identify solely as Latinx, there usually is like some minor mix in there in terms of they could be like the mom could be Mexican and the dad could be from Costa Rica. And so, yeah, I think there's always some kind of genetic predisposition in some way where usually some, every family that I talk to has some sort of personal connection to like, oh yeah, my family had this or my brother has autism, that kind of thing. Okay. And going back to the placenta, like I said in the very beginning, if a mom wants to encapsulate her placenta and bank it, is that possible? Or is it kind of one or the other due to the amount? Yeah. So we generally just ask people to choose one or the other. And so we've had people encapsulate and then they just bank cord blood and cord tissue. And then they can send off the placenta elsewhere. But usually I, I just try to have people do their own research on placenta encapsulation because I think like I believe in Europe, it's actually banned to do placenta encapsulation just because it can potentially lead to infection in the mom. And then that could even transfer to the baby. And so, yeah, I, I just try to encourage people to look at sources like evidence-based birth when they're considering things like placenta encapsulation because it could potentially be dangerous. And you mentioned Europe. Are you solely in the United States right now or are you international? Do you accept from all over? Yeah, yeah, from the United States. Okay, all right. Because I'm sure people listening internationally are like, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm pregnant <laughs> I want to do this too. Yeah. Do you have plans to open up to international yeah, definitely. I think we're laying the grounds for Canada and such. I think that would probably be next. And then we can definitely consider international. A lot of the partners, they've served international before. So yeah, I think it would be possible. Okay. And then the obvious question is we start to wrap this up, but like, why isn't this required at birth? Like, what are the hesitation that maybe hospitals are having or OBGYNs are having to not say we strongly think or it's required that you bank because of there's so many uses you can use for it in the future. Yeah. Like I've read a lot of studies about, oh, the chances that you use it could be really slim. But I think that's just because they look at the 85 diseases that are FDA approved and the chances that you would get that, where which definitely like would be more slim. But I think when I talk about it, it's sort of like you could also use it for a variety of other things that are not FDA approved. Like cerebral palsy is not FDA approved, but that clinical trial has been going on for years. And there's a lot of really strong evidence demonstrating that it could help children with cerebral palsy or even the things like the acne treatments or HIV that aren't a part of that list of 85. Or even like in 2012, someone used cord blood to reverse their type 1 diabetes and the chances that someone gets type 1 by the time they're 18 is 1 in 300. So I think that alone just demonstrates that the probability that you could use cord blood stem cells if you continue to be educated and engaged via community about what the real use cases are, then it's really much broader than just that narrow probability. But I think because physicians are always liable and such for the decisions that they recommend, they stick to the FDA-approved list and sort of see it that way. And then I think another thing is doing 
cord blood banking has only become commonplace in the past 20 years or so. So I find that physicians that have graduated med school in like 2010 or sooner they are typically really open to this, whereas like physicians that are closer to retirement, they feel kind of skeptical. They've only really heard about it in their continuing education credits and just feel like uncertain and wary about recommending something that, that is newer to them. So I think it's just a matter of time. And I could see, I can understand if they're just looking at the 85 FDA approved, but we are in 2022. So if you're pregnant now in 2022, as we record this, and crush fingers, like nothing happens for 18 plus years, like in your type 1 diabetes case, it was 18. So like the amount of research and FDA approval that's going to come out between now and 18 plus years from now is only going to go up. So while yes, right now there are only 85 approved and a lot of it does tend to be worst case scenario, when you go to actually think about, oh, you know what, I I actually kind of need this, or I'm starting to develop this, or I'm starting to develop that, or I have developed this, or I have this issue, I wonder... Even things like hair loss, like hair balding, like you, they're just, just things like that. And there's just more research coming out. And in 18, 20, 30 years, when you are an 18-year-old, 20-year-old, or 30-year-old, just the amount of research is going to be there for it. And you'll be ahead of the game. Your <laughs> mom would have already has stem cells waiting for you to help your situation. Yeah, definitely. A majority of the, that list of 85 has become approved over the course of the past 10 years. So I definitely think in the next 10 years, it'll continue to grow. Yeah, which of course, you're helping with the whole <laughs> with the whole thing, the whole process. Yeah. Okay, so as this is the Root Cause Medicine podcast, if someone listening to this is pregnant or thinking about getting pregnant, like what do you want to leave them with? Like what is the thing that when these moms write you, do you say right away? What do you want them to know? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing that I try to advocate for is just having an informed birth experience. So even if you don't move forward with Inja Health, I think a lot of people just need to be informed about their true options. Like the most common thing I hear is that people don't hear about it at all. And then the second most common thing I hear is that they hear about it, but it's sort of like convoluted or in passing from a friend and they just don't really know how to move forward. So I would just try to be informed about everything. And I think pregnancy can be such a scary time and a complicated time, especially for first-time parents. So I would just try to really understand your full options. And I also have a pregnancy playlist on TikTok. (laughs) I can help with that. (laughs) Yes, you're very prolific on TikTok. And actually, that is my last question is where can people find you? Where can they learn all about this? Where can they get the information? Where can they buy the kit? Yeah. Where can they find you on TikTok? Right. Yeah. So you can um, check out our site, Anja Health. So A-N-J-A health.com. And then our Instagram is anja.health. Our TikTok is at Anja Health. LinkedIn, Facebook is also at Anja Health. And then my personal TikTok is Catherine Anja. And that's where I do a lot of my like pregnancy content and talking about my story and cord blood. And I answer a lot of FAQs. So yeah, it's really great because they have like real direct connection with our customers. And they definitely ask the questions because like I said, I was stalking your comment section and I love that people are so interested and into this and have great questions. And I absolutely feel like this is the way growing wave of the future for us. And that's exciting. So thank you so much for coming on today. And yeah, thank you. Really explaining this in detail for people. I just really appreciate it. So everybody listening, if you're completely convinced like I am, (laughs) angiahealth.com, you can learn more. So thank you again, Catherine, for being on. Yeah, thank you. 
my goodness. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask before you go. If you loved today's conversation, would you mind leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now? My whole goal is education. So positive reviews are actually the number one thing that help new people discover the show. You're amazing. I so appreciate it. And I'll catch you on the next episode.